We're in Revelation chapter 16 again uh, this morning, and I would like to read the whole chapter once more just as a way to orient ourselves to to the text. We read it last week, I know, uh, but that was a long time ago. Uh, And so we will read from Revelation chapter 16, and again, there is no Old Testament reading only because this text is so lengthy. Revelation chapter 16, starting in verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then I, that is John, heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments." The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds." The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty." Behold, I am coming like a thief, Jesus says. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people, and they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. So far the reading of God's most holy word, we do pray that the Lord would bless the preaching of it, and also our application of this to our lives. As you know, I decided, I decided to uh, devote uh, two sermons to Revelation chapter 16. Actually, you just know that I decided to devote more than one. It could have been ten, I guess, but... Uh, We will only take two uh, sermons to cover Revelation chapter 16. And and in the first sermon, uh, we considered the bull judgments broadly, giving special attention to the things that John heard in this vision. And four observations were made uh, about that last week. One, a reminder was given that it would be an error to interpret this passage in a literal fashion, as if John 
we're shown video footage of the last days ahead of time. Uh, No, instead, what we have here is truth communicated via symbol as it is within the rest of the book of Revelation. Two, we recognize that the key to the symbolism of the bold judgments is found in the Old Testament, particularly the ten plagues of Exodus 7 and following, and also Leviticus chapter 26. Uh, Three, we learn that the bold judgments reveal something of the final judgment, uh, particularly the outpouring of the wrath of God upon the ungodly who are alive upon the earth on the last day. And four, we did see that the heavenly opinion concerning the judgments of God is that they are perfectly right and perfectly just. Uh, This point was drawn from what John heard the angel and the altar say in verses 4 through 7. And then finally, and in conclusion, we looked at the words of Christ in verse 15, where he warns, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And indeed, uh, this is what the thought of the return of Christ and the wrath of God poured out should produce within us. It, It should produce readiness. We should then live with a sense of expectation And we should always be prepared, having put away our sin-stained garments through repentance and being properly clothed with the righteousness of Christ that is received by faith. This is what uh, all of these visions really are to produce within us, uh, living lives very carefully, being sure that we are trusting in Christ. And now today I wish to look at each of the bold judgments uh, themselves and, and to show how their symbolism... Uh, First of all, draws from the plagues of the Exodus. Secondly, how the symbolism advances what was revealed earlier in the book of Revelation. And then also, also in some instances, prepares us for things to be revealed later in, in this book. The end result is this. After we have considered the bold judgments, we have a symbolic description of the wrath of God poured out on Uh, the unbelieving, immediately preceding and leading up to the return of Christ upon the kingdom of the beast and all who are in it, all who have received the mark, who evidently at the time of the end will be hell-bent on overrunning the people of God, that is those sealed by him. Uh, God will on the last day rescue those who belong to him and pour out his fierce wrath upon his enemies. As it was with the Egyptians at the Exodus, so will it be with the kingdoms of this world on the last day. As it was for Israel at the Exodus, so will it be for all who are in Christ on the last day, uh, that great and awesome day of the Lord. And so in verse 1, we read of John's heavenly vision. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So then the first bowl, or the first angel, went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. I want you to notice that these bowls filled with God's wrath have as their target those who bear the mark of the beast and worship its image. Uh, These are all who are not in Christ. Uh, These are those who who worship not God in Christ, but the things of of this world. Uh, They are idolaters. 
Their hope is set on earthly things. They trust in themselves, in political institutions, in wealth, etc. They trust in the things of this world, earthly things, and not in Christ. Their number, we have already been told, is the number 666, which is the earthly and imperfect number of man in Trinitarian form. So to put it a little bit differently, all who are not in Christ will drink the cup of God's wrath on the last day. Uh, Those who have the seal of Christ upon them will have been rescued by then. Remember that the first bowl here in Revelation chapter 16 corresponds to the sixth of the plagues that were poured out by God upon the Egyptians at the Exodus. When after Moses and Aaron took handfuls of soot from the kiln, Moses threw it into the air and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. That is what Exodus 9 verses 8 through 10 says. And so you can see that these bold judgments are very closely connected to the plagues that were poured out upon the Egyptians as described in the book of Exodus. And and one question that we should probably ask is, why are these seven bulls so deliberately attached symbolically to the ten plagues of, of, of the Exodus? Why, why that? Uh, why is truth being communicated to us in this way? And I think the answer really cuts in two directions. Uh, first of all, it is so that we might understand something about the future. That at the end of time, something like that great act of judgment that came upon the Egyptians and the gods of Egypt also. And something like the deliverance that Israel did enjoy will again happen at the end of of time, but in a much greater way. And two, it is so that we might understand something about the past also, that Israel's deliverance from Egypt as we know it was not ultimately about the nation of Israel, but it was about the Christ and all who would be saved in him, not from Pharaoh, but from the evil one himself, from sin and from death. And so the book of Revelation, see it, it picks up these Old Testament images, these Old Testament themes, and it brings them in, but it also alters them and it advances them so that we might understand something about both the past and the future. Do you see that happening here in in the book of Revelation? We are not told about ten plagues that will come upon the world at the end of time. No, we're told about seven bowls that will be poured out. Uh, But these bowls obviously correspond to the ten plagues of old. And so these Old Testament images are picked up. They're used. But they are altered. They are advanced so that we might understand something both about the past and also uh, the future. I, I want you to notice also that the first bowl corresponds to the first trumpet uh, that we were introduced to back in Revelation chapter 8, verse 7. Uh, you remember we had a seal cycle of seven. We had a trumpet cycle of seven. Now here we are in the bowl cycle. But the bowl cycle and the trumpet cycle correspond very closely to one another also. So listen again to the first trumpet. And the angel, the first angel, blew his trumpet and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood and these were thrown upon the earth and a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all green grass was burned up. And so the first bowl of Revelation 16 is poured out upon the same realm. It is poured out upon the earth. And so we are to notice the similarity and also the difference. The similarity is the realm. 
The difference is the scope of the judgment. In in the first trumpet, it it was one-third of the earth that was affected. Uh, This is why we concluded that while the trumpets, uh, most of them do symbolize the the partial and restrained judgments of God, which are poured out even now, the bowls symbolize the full and final outpouring of the wrath of God. For indeed, with them, the wrath of God is finished. So do you see how the book of Revelation is functioning? Truth is being communicated to us via symbol. And those symbols are being drawn from the Old Testament, especially the plagues that were poured out upon the Egyptians. But also there's something going on internal to the book of Revelation itself. Uh, Bull 1 does correspond to trumpet 1, but it's not the same. In trumpet 1, a third of the earth was afflicted by that judgment of God. Here it is the whole world, and so we have advancement. We have here a description of the time of the end where God will pour out His wrath in a most full way. I think it is worth noting that at the Exodus, the Lord did inflict the Egyptians with boils and sores as an act of judgment upon them. Also, the Lord did threaten Israel herself should she sin, saying, The Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt and with tumors and scabs and itch of which you cannot be healed. The Lord will strike you on the knees and on the legs with grievous boils of which you cannot be healed from the sole of your foot to the crown of your head. That's found in Deuteronomy chapter 28 verses 27 and also 35. And so what is the Lord doing? He's saying to even the people of old covenant Israel, should you choose to transgress my laws, should you choose to break my covenant with you, which was a covenant of works, then I will do to you just as I did to the Egyptians as I delivered you from that nation. Now, what do we have here in the book of Revelation except a depiction of God pouring out his wrath and his judgment upon lawbreakers, not isolated to one particular nation, be it Egypt or even Israel, but upon the whole earth. Uh, That is what we have a description of here with the outpouring of the first bowl. In verse 3 we read, The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. And I want you to notice three things about this second bowl. Uh, One, the second bowl corresponds to the first plague of the Exodus, where the waters of the Nile were turned into blood. In the second bowl, it is not fresh water, but the salty water of the sea that is turned to blood. I think the reason is to symbolize God's wrath poured out not just upon the river of of one nation, but upon the seas of the whole earth. Also, we should remember that it was from the sea that the first of the two beasts did rise. Do you remember that? And here also is the place where the ships of the nations sail to to trade with one another. And so it is this water which is turned into blood with the pouring out of the second bull. But it does, of course, correspond to the first plague of the Exodus nonetheless, for water is, in fact, turned to blood. Uh, Secondly, notice that the second bull corresponds to the second trumpet. There it was a blazing mountain that was thrown into the realm of the sea. So again, you see that The realm that is affected in the second bowl is the same realm that was affected with the blowing of the second trumpet. Uh, A blazing mountain there was thrown into the realm of the sea. And again, it was a third of the sea and a third of the creatures of the sea that were afflicted there. Here, it is total and complete. Thirdly, uh, with the sounding of the second trumpet, do notice that a third of the sea became blood, as I just said. But when the second bowl is poured out, there is no limitation. There's no constraint. But the sea became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died 
that was in the sea. In verse 4, we read, The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And so you've undoubtedly uh, gotten the hang of things by now, so I will not be so tedious through this whole sermon, but just simply recognize the third bowl also corresponds to the first plague, and perhaps even more exactly, for water is again turned to blood, but this time it is not the salt water of the sea, but the fresh water of springs and rivers. Uh, But it is not one river that is the Nile or the Euphrates uh, that is afflicted, but springs and rivers in general across the whole earth that are afflicted uh, with the pouring out of this third bowl. The third bowl also corresponds to the third trumpet in both. It is the realm of rivers and fountains that are afflicted. And again, there is progression, not a third as it was with the trumpet, but all, for indeed with these bowls the wrath of God is finished. Now, here is where we have, after the third bowl is poured out, uh, the heavenly opinion given to us. And I think it is so important for us to recognize the function that these words do play in the bowl cycle. Things are shown to John in this vision. He sees them. And we are urged to use our imagination to, to try to imagine what it was that he saw. But now there is a break in the vision and John does not see something as much as he hears something. And it is so important to pay attention to what these voices uh, did say. John heard the angel in charge of the water say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. And so the placement of these words, I think, is very significant, for they come right in the middle of the outpouring of the bowl judgments. Uh, You'll notice that the seventh bowl is set off from the first six, both literarily and thematically. It is with the pouring out of the seventh bowl that things are truly brought to an end, as we will see a little bit later on in in our study here. Uh, And so the pattern ends up being this. Bowl one, two, and three are poured out, and then we have bowls four, five, and six described to us. But right in the middle of all of that, there is this heavenly opinion given concerning the judgments of God. And so there is a chiastic structure to the text. And at the midpoint or peak or heart of it, we hear this heavenly opinion, both from an angel and also from the redeemed, who I think cry out from underneath the altar, as it was described to us back in Revelation 6, 9 and following. And what do they say? They say, as terrible and awesome as the wrath of God is, it is perfectly Just, It is perfectly right. The things that John saw in this vision are important, but the things that he heard, I think they do stand out as being most significant to us, and we should take note of them, as we did last week, but here you have a reminder of that. Now, look at verse 8, and it is there that we read that the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. Bowl 4, I think, can be compared with plague number nine, where the sun is struck with darkness. Uh, That was what happened to the Egyptians. The sun was struck with darkness when plague number nine was uh, poured out upon them. Here, the sun does not go dark, but it scorches people with fire. Uh, G.K. Beale, whose commentary I do appreciate very much, Uh, points out that it might be better to compare bowl four with the seventh plague where hail and thunder and also lightning, fire, fall from the sky. 
uh, upon the Egyptians. And he might be right. Um, really, the, deciding which one it corresponds to is not entirely important for the meaning to be understood. Um, also notice that bull four and trumpet four correspond and that it is the realm of the celestial bodies that are struck when trumpet four and bull four are poured out. Uh, notice that a feature is added in the description of the fourth bull that was not present in the description of the first three for John now comments on what he saw. That has not happened yet, but he, he decides to interject and to say something. Look at verse 9. He simply describes this to us. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. He wants us to know that. That here is how the peoples of the earth, those who had the mark of the beast upon them, who did not know Christ, here is how they responded to the outpouring of this fourth bull. Uh, They began to curse God. They began to shake their fists at him, knowing that these plagues were from him. And he does say, they did not repent and give him glory. In other words, to wait for too long might mean that it is too late. Uh, When Christ does return, when he does pour out his wrath in this full and final way, it will not be a time for repentance, but it is only judgment that is being Poured out here. These plagues, as they are called, do not bring men to repentance, but they bring only judgment. And so the message is don't wait, for then it will be too late for you. In verse 10, we read the fifth angel poured out his bull on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. And so here we see that it is the throne of the beast that is targeted, and of course all who belong to him and live in his kingdom. Now, clearly it is bull five and plague nine that correspond, where Egypt was plunged into utter darkness for three days. Uh, the text there tells us that it was the kind of darkness that can be felt. So, so thick was that darkness that you could almost feel it, right? Uh, now it is the whole kingdom of the beast that is covered in this darkness, And so bull five and plague nine definitely correspond here. Bull five corresponds to trumpet five. I think in a most interesting way, when the angel, uh, the fifth angel, blew his trumpet, we were told, John saw a star fall from heaven to earth. And he, this star, who represents an angel, was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit And he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke, like the smoke of a great furnace. Do you remember this now from previously in our study? And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from that shaft. And so what happened uh, when the fifth trumpet was blown? Well, the sun was darkened. It it, it was blackened, if you will. Uh, But why was it darkened? It was because uh, the Lord did permit that uh, the evil one, Allow his, and call forth his ministers to come up out of the pit and to torment men uh, from, from that pit that then confined them. Uh, and so here Satan and his demons were permitted to do their work within their kingdom. Here with the outpouring though of the fifth bull, it is the kingdom of the beast itself that is plunged into darkness by God as an act of judgment upon it. And so with the fifth trumpet we had a description of how yes, the evil one is active in the world. And he does bring darkness upon the world. But here, darkness now comes upon the kingdom of Satan 
himself. Again, John comments saying that people gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. And again, he does reiterate this. They did not repent of their deeds. In verse 12, we read that the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. And its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Now, in my opinion, the sixth bowl is the most complex and interesting of all of the bowl judgments. It obviously corresponds to the second plague where after the water of the Nile was turned to blood. Do you remember that? What came up out of the Nile River? Except frogs. They came up out and they covered the land. I mean, they were just everywhere and they tormented the Egyptians. Uh, And so obviously the two uh, things, the the sixth bowl and the sixth, uh, and and the um, sixth, excuse me, the second plague, do correspond to one another, but there are some very important differences to be noticed. Notice here that it is not the Nile that is said to be struck, but it is the water of the Euphrates. It would have been just as easy, wouldn't it, to have used the Nile in the symbolism? In fact, that would have made the link even tighter between the bold judgments and the plagues that were poured upon the Egyptians. But here we are told that it was the waters of the Euphrates uh, that was struck. And this is so typical of how the symbolism of the book of Revelation works. It, it draws upon the Old Testament for its symbolism, but it alters those Old Testament images, I think, in very obvious and sometimes jarring ways in order to make a point. As we read this, we were, we're able to see, yes, it's the exodus and the plagues of the exodus that are in view here. And when we come to this drying up of this river, we're expecting to hear Nile because that was what was afflicted in the plagues when they were poured out upon the Egyptians. But instead we are told that the Euphrates River was dried up. In the book of Revelation, remember, it is Babylon and not Egypt that is used to symbolize the godless and worldly powers which seek to seduce the people of God. And if they will not be seduced, then it is Babylon that will then persecute the people of God. And so Babylon is the city of choice in the book of Revelation, which stands for worldliness, which stands for godlessness, which stands for those powers which persecute uh, the people of God. And this will become ever more clear as we progress in our study of the book of Revelation. And just recognize this, the Euphrates is the river of Babylon. And, it is, and so it only makes sense that it is the river of that is here struck with the pouring out of the sixth bowl. Two, notice that the river is not turned to blood here, causing the demonic spirits that are like frogs to come forth. Uh, But instead, the river is dried up in order to prepare the way for the kings from the east. I want you to notice that the sixth bowl corresponds also to the sixth trumpet, where the sixth angel blew his trumpet and John heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were, were released to kill a third of mankind. I, are you, have I lost you completely? 
I know this sermon has quite a pace to it. It has to, or we'll be here all day. But I'm trying to say things that, that are going to help you to make the connection here. When the sixth bowl is poured out, it's the Euphrates River that's dried up. The demonic spirits are able to bring the kings from the east to come and to oppose the people of God. But connect that to what was said uh, when the sixth trumpet was blown. When that trumpet was blown, four angels who were bound at the great river Euphrates were allowed to, uh, to be released and to kill a third of mankind. Remember that it was from the north and east, from the region of the Euphrates, that Israel's enemies did come. Think Old Testament now. And think as if you were living in Israel. Where did your enemies come from? From the north and to the east. Both Assyria and Babylon did come from that region, from the region of the Euphrates to conquer them. So therefore, that region took on a symbolic force by the time that John did receive and write the apocalypse. Where do the enemies of God come from to assault them? They come from the Euphrates. When the sixth trumpet was blown, those four angels were bound at the great river Euphrates. And they were released and permitted to kill a third of mankind with an army that was 200 million strong. That's what we heard. They were released and permitted to kill a third of mankind. It was a restrained form of judgment. Not total, not final there at the sixth the blowing of the sixth trumpet. But something similar happens when the sixth bowl is poured out. The river Euphrates which once functioned as a kind of protective boundary for the people of God, is now dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And John saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, this false trinity, three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world now to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Notice here that there is a complete lack of restraint. There's no restraint. Something final is about to happen. It is not Assyria or Babylon who assemble for battle alone. It is the kings of the whole world. And they are moved by the demonic who are sent by the false trinity, the dragon and the two beasts. And who are they assembling to fight against? Who are they coming against here in uh, the book of Revelation? They are coming against the people of God. In verse 16 we read, And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. And so the scene is set for something that we will encounter later on in the book of Revelation. Uh, You'll notice here as we continue on here in chapter 16 that nothing more is said in the bull cycle about this battle. We're just told about this great battle, this battle that will take place Uh, at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. But nothing else is said to us about this battle. We just move on, and when the seventh bowl is poured out, we have a description of the the end of the world as we know it, right? But nothing more is said about this battle. We're left to kind of wonder what this battle of Armageddon is all about, but notice that we will return to it in Revelation 19, verses 11 through 21, where we read these words, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called out to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. 
So here in Revelation chapter 19, we return again to the scene of the, the battle of Armageddon, as it is called. And we see that indeed the, the, the beast and the false prophet and the dragon, they have gathered together the kings of the earth for this great battle. And they are assembled to war against Christ himself and his army, his people. And what is the result? The beast was captured and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its images. Its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And so I think if you're able to track along with all of this complex symbolism being drawn from many places within the Holy Scriptures, Old Testament and New What we have in the first six bowls is a symbolic description of how things will go at the end of the age. Now, how long of a time span do the bowl judgments represent? I don't really know for sure. I don't think we need to know. There's no reason at all to say that these things will happen in the last seven years or three and a half years of human history. Nor do I think that we need to confine what is symbolized here in the first six bulls to just one day. But the bulls do seem to describe a complex series of events that will take place right before the Lord returns and culminating in the return of Christ. I think that's what we have here symbolized in the first six bulls that are poured out. The picture we have is that the people of God find themselves under assault. The kings of the earth are permitted, the river of the Euphrates being dried up, the kings of the earth are permitted to to come against them and to gather against them uh, for battle. And so here, the people of God are finding themselves threatened tremendously. They're very vulnerable, right? But God knows this, and he does permit it. And at the end of time, God will indeed rescue those who belong to him and will pour out his wrath against um, those who do not. I think the best way to explain this is to simply go with the analogy that is embedded within the bull judgments themselves, that being the analogy of the Exodus event. How will things go with the righteous and the unrighteous at the end of time? Is that the question that you want an answer to? What the book of Revelation is saying is that it will be for them much like it was for the Israelites and the Egyptians at the Exodus. That event that did take place thousands of years ago was a kind of picture or type or, 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 or foreshadowing of the time of the end when God would accomplish that great and final act of deliverance, bringing his people safely home into the promised land. And he will also accomplish that great and final act of judgment, not upon one nation, but upon all the nations of the earth. And here is why I have been so careful to show you how This bull corresponds to that plague and how this bull does correspond to an advance, this trumpet, so that you might get the symbolism of the book of Revelation. The point is not that we should play the game, let's try to guess who the kings of the east are. That's not the point. For indeed, it's all the kings of the earth who do come against the people of God at the end of time. And the Lord does judge them, and the Lord does also rescue those who belong to him. The Israel of God, that is all who are in Christ, according to the New Testament, will find themselves under persecution in a most helpless, and they'll be in a most helpless place. Think of Israel, Old Covenant Israel, as they were there in Egypt. What was happening to them under Pharaoh's thumb? 
I mean, they were so weak and they were so helpless and they were so persecuted by this great and mighty nation that they couldn't even stop the king from killing their children. The firstborns were being tossed into the Nile River. I mean, that was how oppressed they were. God knows who are his. He did then pour out his judgments upon that nation with precision. And he will again pour out with precision his judgments upon the enemies of God and his people at the end of time. He will issue forth plagues. His people will be spared. The kings of the earth being moved by the demonic, being motivated by the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet will pursue God's people. They will press hard against them to overwhelm them. But notice that it is not the waters of the Red Sea that will be dried up to provide safe passage for the people of God. But here at the last exodus, it is the waters of the Euphrates that will be dried up so that the enemies of God might be released to war against God and his people. Do you notice the reversal here? What happened at the exodus? The people were set free after the 10th plague and then Pharaoh changed his mind. And they found themselves hard pressed against the, the, the Red Sea and God dried up those waters as it were and let the people walk through and released them into the wilderness and eventually into the promised land and the seas then covered uh, the, the Egyptians as they pursued. But here at the last exodus we have exactly the opposite thing taking place. The waters of the Euphrates that once provided a protective buffer for the people of God, they are dried up so that the kings of the world might come against God's people. And what is God saying to us as his people then? I'm still in control. I'm still sovereign even over this. I still know who it is that belongs to me and I am able to keep them to the end and bring them safely home. And I know who my enemies are and I will judge them fully and finally on that last day. I think the symbolism, it is complex, it is very rich, but it is knowable because we have God's word and we are to interpret scripture using scripture. They will be gathered, these kings of the earth, not so that they might prevail against the people of God, but so that the people of God might be rescued and the wicked judged. Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great, the angel of Revelation chapter 19 says. That is why the river of the Euphrates is, draw, uh, is dried up so that the kings of the earth might assemble themselves for that battle where they will be fully and finally judged in this way. And it's here, right after the sixth bowl is poured out, and right before we have a description of the outpouring of the seventh bowl, that Christ does issue this warning. And it should catch our attention because we have not heard from him since the letters uh, to, to the seven churches. But here he speaks saying... In a most direct way, behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. So be ready for my coming. We have this word from Christ that is given to us. Be ready, for you do not know the time uh, when I will come. And then, very quickly and very abruptly, we have a description of the outpouring of the seventh bowl. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. And a loud voice came out of the temple and from the throne saying, It is done. 
And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people, and they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. So clearly... The seventh bull and the seventh plague correspond with the mention of hail falling from the sky. Also, the seventh and, uh, trumpet and, and uh, uh, the seventh bull do share many similarities, for they describe the same event. Uh, when the seventh trumpet was sounded, then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the Ark of the Covenant was seen within the temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hell. Remember, with the sounding of the seventh trumpet, we did have a description of the time of the end, too. And we notice that the same sort of language is present here with the outpouring of the seventh bull. They describe the same event. But notice this. There is no interlude between bulls six and seven as there was between Trumpets 6 and 7. Do you remember that feature? Trumpets 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. All of them communicating restraint. Trumpet 7, no restraint. But the time of the end is here. But in between trumpets 6 and 7, we had this interlude. It, it just gave a sense of delay to the reader. The time is not quite yet was the message. But here in the bull cycle, there is no delay at all. Uh, this is because at the time of the end... Uh, the time for warning and for patience will be over. And that is symbolized by the outpouring of the bulls of the wrath of God. Clearly, this seventh bull is a description of the end of the world as we know it. It's a depiction of it. Uh, the voice from the temple and the throne said, it is done. We see again the flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, which is associated with the last judgment throughout the book of Revelation. There's a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth so great was that earthquake. Babylon is split into three parts. The cities of the nations fall. God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away. No more mountains were to be found. These great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And what did they do? They did not repent, but they cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. Brothers and sisters, I think it is very good for us uh, to talk about the time of the end. I know that we've been doing a lot of that lately. Um, not all of the book of Revelation is about the time of the very end. Much of it is about the time between Christ's first and second comings. But you'll note, you're noticing that we're being taken to the time of the end more frequently the further along we get in the book of Revelation. So that yes, the whole bull cycle does have to do with a time immediately preceding the second coming of Christ. It's good that we talk about the time of the end. I will admit that some grow obsessed with this subject, almost to the point that it becomes the only thing that they talk about. They're obsessed with eschatology, the study of last things. And, and I do not think that that's healthy, for the Word of God has a lot of other things to say to us about our God and who we are and our life in this world. But, but I think there are others who neglect the subject, and that also is not a good thing. It's important that we see human history and also the Christian life as a journey. And what does a journey involve except traveling towards 
a destination. That's what a journey is. It's traveling towards a destination. And so what I want to say to you, brothers and sisters in Christ, is that we should not neglect the travel. Uh, We should not grow so obsessed with talk about uh, the destination that we forget to walk the walk that is required of us to get there. We should not neglect the other things that the Bible has to say to us, things pertaining to God. Who is He? What is He like? Things pertaining to us and and our condition and our need, things pertaining to our salvation and uh, the Christian life. We must not fail to apply the Word of God to every detail of our life so that we might be found walking According to the will of God, the Christian life is like a journey. Human history is like a journey. There is both a travel and there is also a destination. And we cannot neglect the travel. We must walk worthy in this world. But let us not forget about the destination either. It is actually having a destination that makes a journey a journey. Otherwise, what we are doing is wandering. That's what people do who wander. They walk, but they have no destination. There is no final end goal. There is no view towards the end. They are just wandering around. And I'm afraid that that is how very many people, even Christians, do live in this world. They wander rather aimlessly. And so that is why the study of eschatology, the study of last things, is so important. Because it does, in effect, put a pin on the map, doesn't it? And we say, we know this is where human history is heading. And we know that this is where we are heading. And having placed the pin then firmly in the map, being placed there by God and His Word, we are able to order our lives according to that destination, with that destination in mind. And so, brothers and sisters, my prayer for you is that having learned something about the end of the world, that we would then order our lives accordingly. The biggest question of all is, are you in Christ? Are you clothed in His righteousness? Are you ready for Christ's return? Um, Have you confessed your sins? And have you had your sins washed away by the blood of the Lamb? That is the biggest question of all. And I don't know that it's true of everyone in this room. How could I know? But I'm calling you to repent and to look to Christ and to believe upon Him for the forgiveness of sins if you have not Already, That is the biggest question of all. But if the answer to that question is yes, which I know that it is for many of you in this room, then I encourage you to go on examining your lives ever more carefully to the point that you begin to ask questions like, in light of these things, is it right the way that I am spending my time and my money? Do I value the the right things? Do I have my priorities straight? Am I spending my life well in a way that will have a lasting significance? In light of these things that we have heard today, in light of these things that we are learning as we progress through our study of the book of Revelation, is my life well ordered? Am I walking in the right direction towards that destination that the Lord has revealed to us? Sometimes I really struggle in making application you at the end of a sermon. Uh, Oftentimes it is this, there's so much that I could say to you. Where do I start? Uh, What what do I choose to emphasize right now? I, I feel as if what I should do is I should speak to every husband in the room and I should say things like, in light of all of this, are you speaking to your wife in a way that's appropriate? Do you see what I'm saying? Are you talking to her nice? 
on a daily basis? Are you loving her as Christ has called you to? You say, what does that have to do with Revelation chapter 16? Well, this is what application looks like. We take these, these truths that are revealed to us in God's word, and we do then go into a quiet place, and we begin to reflect, Lord, am I the man, am I the woman that you have called me to be? Am I living my life well in light of these truths? So many, as you know, brothers and sisters, live their lives as if none of this is true at all. And how sad it is and how misguided they are to journey in this world not being mindful of the final judgment or the eternal state. Brothers and sisters, may it not be so of us, but may we walk worthy in this world, world, knowing indeed where all things are headed because they have been revealed by God himself, who is the beginning and the end. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you for... The imagery here in the book of Revelation, it can be confusing to us, I know, uh, because we tend to take things so literally. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand the symbolism and that having understood the symbolism, that we would not walk away thinking, well, these are just symbols. Uh, This won't happen just as it has been described in the text, so it won't be that bad or something like that, Lord. But help us to see that these symbols are here uh, given to jar us and to make us sober and most fully aware of the severity of of that event when Christ does return and when you, Father, do judge. Lord, I pray that that would be done in my heart and my mind and in the minds of my brothers and sisters in Christ and in the minds of non-believers who are here. May your spirit press that upon them that indeed we would fear with a holy and and, and godly kind of fear uh, that we would be compelled to live very carefully in this world. Above all else, may we be found in Christ, trusting in him and in him alone. I pray that everyone here who is hearing these words knows Christ. And if they do not yet, that they would. And that they would walk with you in this world until you take them home or until Christ returns. Lord, help us to be ready, we pray. And we say this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. And all of God's people say, Amen.